Hello and welcome to episode 15 of God's Own Scale. I'm Sean Clark, your host, and I've got today for you lined up an interview with Mr. James Mitchell. Now, James is a gamer that I became aware of at the Joy of Six last year with his excellent Jacko Bite sized Culloden. A little pun on words there with his use of some beautiful 6mm figures. And he was using uh, a variant of the for King and Parliament rules. James has got a wargaming background that mirrors my own almost identically. We are not far off the same age. I should say that I'm recording this episode on the 25th of August. It's actually my 50th birthday today. So that's the interview uh, for today. It's a really great chat we have. We have uh, some real good fun talking through uh, various things. I wanted to give a shout out at the end of the last episode. I launched my Patreon appeal uh, to support the podcast, to keep the lights on, uh, to cover costs of running the podcast and maybe at some point in the future to invest in better recording facilities. It really is quite amateurish, the setup that I've got and it's amazing that I get so many people listening when I know that the sound quality could be somewhat better. But I have to say thank you very much to those patrons who've already signed up. Um, they are Tom, Bob, Steve, Dekairus, Dominic, Jesse, and Andrew. Now Steve and Andrew are uh, people that I know in real life, uh, both excellent chaps and clearly men of good taste in investing into this podcast. But uh, I've, I've played games against both of them, had great time, they're both uh, real good fun. And potentially future guests on the show because Steve has literally just posted up images of the first 6mm English Civil War unit that is painted up to refight the Battle of Lansdowne, which I think is fairly close to where he lives, uh, down in the southwest. And Andrew has sent me the challenge of convincing him that 6mm is God's own scale. So I would love to get him on the show, I think, and uh, try and convert him uh, to the possibilities that 6mm brings. He is a pretty much a died in the wall 28mm gamer. I know he's done some Flames of War in the past, but pretty much a died in the wall 28mm gamer. And, and rightly so, that's it's a great scale to game in, but I know he's got a keen interest in the Franco-Prussian War, which involved hundreds of thousands of men in some massive land battles. Um, it's only a short war obviously but some of the clashes there were just astronomical in some of those clashes were huge so although Perry miniatures have released the news that they will be uh, releasing some Perry miniatures have announced that they will be releasing Franco-Prussian war in plastic no doubt followed up with some metal support and they will no doubt look absolutely beautiful. I think anybody who's a long time listener 
this show will know my feelings on how to game the Franco-Prussian War and to get that visual spectacle. Anyway, it remains to be seen uh, if we can convert uh, Andrew over to God's own scale. I mean, to keep this fairly short, I've rambled on uh, a little bit in the past. Um, another couple of shout-outs. Uh, really, one is from somebody who identifies himself as K2 Lone Wolf. Um, that this person comments on every podcast that I put up in the positive and it's always very welcome to receive comments uh, to spur me on to continuing with the podcast and, and producing the content that you're clearly enjoying. The other shout out is to Mr. Graham Bevan. Now, Graham has contacted me a couple of times over the life of this podcast, thanking me for the content that I produce. Graham um, put that he lives on the left side of Canada. I take it that's the, the west coast of Canada or towards the west coast. Um, and it sounds like he doesn't get an awful lot of opportunity to game face to face but that listening to the podcast makes him feel part of the community and part of uh, this hobby of ours. And if the podcast is providing that service to you, Graham, I am, I am humbled that uh, you're allowing me into your hobby life and uh, keeping you entertained, well, hopefully, and that there's plenty more to come. So keep listening, Graham, and thanks very much uh, for the kind comments. Okay, no blog of the episode this week, but I've got two YouTube channels that I think on listening to this podcast you should immediately go out and watch. The first is Project Wargaming. I think the gentleman's name is Aaron, who runs that podcast. And in fact, within the last few hours, he's just put up a new um, video playing the American Civil War Battle of Monocacy. Now I've always pronounced this as Monocacy, but as an Englishman, um, interpreting uh, these words isn't always easy, this side of the Atlantic. But he's uh, he's got up a 6 mil game of Fire and Fury, um, but mainly I'm pointing you that way be for his terrain making skills, because there's several blogs on the YouTube channel of him building a D-Day board, which is absolutely astounding, and also a Stalingrad game. Um, and also of note, uh, he's taken to 3D printing and is printing some beautiful figures, uh, most likely uh, Crusaders. They look tremendous, Aaron, and I would like to, if you would grace me with your time, I would like to have a chat with you on the podcast. So I'll reach out to you um, at some point and let's get date fixed up. Another person also from the other side of the Atlantic that I'd like to speak to now I don't think I've caught his name but he goes by the Joy of Wargaming for his YouTube channel. Uh, he's got 50 odd videos on there and it's the latest couple of videos that have really caught my eye. Now Irregular Miniatures a few years ago now um, a good few years ago and I'm probably talking 10-20 years ago released a rather tongue-in-cheek set of rules by a guy by the name of Matthew Hartley called Riot and it's uh, and it represents civil unrest and disturbance now I appreciate 
in the current climate that this might be seen as pushing the boundaries a little bit. However, um, whilst you can play in an urban setting or a futuristic setting in fact, uh, you can also play um, sort of a Napoleonic uh, type themed game or um, something set in the 18th century or 17th century where uh, there's a, a peasant uprising that sort of thing um, but just check out the joy of wargaming youtube channel it's really the enthusiasm that comes across from the host and again i'm sorry i haven't picked up your name but again i would love to get you onto the podcast and have a little chat about your approach to wargaming i, I love the fact that you don't follow any trend you basically tread your own path through the hobby uh, John, I think it's John, isn't it? Uh, it's just come to me. I think we have uh, followed each other on Twitter. So John's John follows his own path through the hobby, does whatever pleases him, and uh, keep, keeps him interested in the hobby as opposed to uh, picking up any of the um, off-the-shelf type games that you can get at any gaming store. And that's not to knock them at all. They've got they deserve their place in the hobby. But John goes what I might call off-piste with some of his gaming, uh, with travel games that he will take on the road with him, uh, where he'll keep a game in a box and with the game map dice, measuring rods, etc. And he looks to have an absolute blast, and that's what this hobby is all about. So um, that is John of joy of wargaming okay uh that's enough of me wittering on um a little change in format actually i'll tell you about now is that i'm not going to do the hobby updates i might i may have mentioned this in the last cast actually but i'm not going to do hobby updates on the podcast anymore i'm not entirely sure that it's uh, worth you listening to me rambling on about what I've painted or not painted. So, that's enough of me wittering on. Let's get to the interview with James. It's time to talk about six. Welcome to episode 15 of God's Own Scale. I have with me Mr. James Mitchell. Hi, James. How are you? I'm great, Sean. How are you? Good. Are you, are you having deja vu? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> uh, James is a wargamer in 6mm, uh, and the, the stuff he produces is tremendous. I am sure anybody who's got an interest in 6mm wargaming and indeed went to the Joy of Six last year will be familiar with the Jacko Bite Culloden game he put on, and also some of the pictures he's put up recently of his Sudan game, which is why, as we said previously, uh, although nobody will hear it, uh, I've invited you on the show because it's not just about the manufacturers, uh, it's about the people who actually game, play, paint in the scale. So uh, thanks for coming on to the show, James. No problem. It's great. Thank you. Um, as is traditional... Um, I like to get a little bit of an understanding about 
who my guest is and how they got into the hobby and uh, what what inspires them. So we'll, we'll have that little bit of a hobby biography from you, James, if you if you if you wouldn't yeah. mind. I will do, Sean. First of all, I just wanted to state it's a pleasure and a privilege for you to invite me on. Um, I really appreciate all the hard work and effort that must go into putting these podcasts on. And you really have helped to uh, strengthen and solidify a community that's within a community that you've mentioned in the past. Um, and you've had some great guests on, uh, at least up until now, that is. And uh, I really look forward to listening to every episode. Um, but as I say, I'm not a, I'm not a designer real writer, retailer, manufacturer, podcaster, blogger, etc. I'm just a simple wargamer. Or maybe a wargamer who's simple, who knows. <laughs> uh, um, Mate, we're going to go with the first of those. You've invited me on, thank you. <laughs> Mate, we're going to go with the first of those. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you deserve uh, a place in, in the interviewer's ch- interviewee's chair just as much as anybody. And, and thanks, for that. thanks for those kind comments. It's, it's much appreciated. But... Uh, Let's find out who James Mitchell is and why you're here. Okie doke. So, um, yeah, so this question, um, I'm trying to cut a long story short here, Sean, but uh, I'm wondering uh, what the record is for this for this, uh, for this this section, because... Uh... <laughs> it, it's possibly Pear Broden, <laughs> but uh, without timing it, I'm not sure. But um, I've stated this many times before, and I'll say it again. People are here to listen to your voice, James, and not mine. Okay. So if you ramble now for the next hour and a half, that's fine by me. Okay, well, if I do go off on a tangent, use your best podcasting skills to draw me back to the topic in hand, okay? I'll do, I'll do my best. Lovely, thanks. Okay, so um, <clears throat> to, so my 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 sort of hobby biography, like, I mean, there'd be some elements of crossover from other people's because with the era that we come from, the sort of age that we are, there's going to be some similarities and, and crossover. But nevertheless, uh, so, I mean, personally i'm i'm a, an only child and i think on, on, only childs have got uh, you have to use your imagination a lot because you're not interacting with with other children so my but my earliest memories uh, from being a very young child are playing with uh, model soldiers sort of plastic airfix and, and then there was 54 millimeter metal britains were they called something like yes, that yeah um so I've, I've no idea where these came from but i remember playing with them uh, my mother tells me that I, I was always playing with soldiers. My father had absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. If it didn't uh, come out of a barrel or was round and kicked it, he didn't seem to have much interest in anything, really, much as I get on with him. Um, but uh, he, it wasn't him that gave me any interest in that. So, But somewhere along the lines, when I was very young, I ended up playing with soldiers all the time. And I was brought up um, with my by my grandparents a lot of the time because I mean mother and father both worked I spent a lot of time um with with them and I, I can remember playing with my soldiers on the floor and uh typically my gran would have those old films on in the afternoon now they'd be black and white I think it might the tv might have been black and white <laughs> yeah. but the films definitely were black and white and I can remember think especially things like uh sort of westerns and, and my granddad would watch war films. I'd be on in the afternoon, if I remember rightly. And so somewhere along the lines, back then, my interest would be, would be picking up at that stage. Has anybody gone back that early before in their... Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Great. Yes, mate. Um, we, so, we haven't uh, quite reached the womb yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not far off. But when I knew it was coming on, I tried to think about what turned me from a kid 
playing with soldiers through a war gamer. I tried to think of any specific things that kind of I remember that might have might have created that interest. So while I was at my grands, there was a there was um a program came on the TV. Now I was I would only be six or seven maybe. Uh with Time Tease Television. If you if you if you remember that. I think and, I know where uh, you're going with this. Sorry, you know, I yeah, think I know, I think I know where you're going. It had, yeah. it had grown men, grown men. I remember, I'm very young. Grown men playing with soldiers in a gaming kind of a way, with dice. And I've only subsequently learned from the benefits of YouTube later in life that that would have been Paddy Griffiths and Peter Gilder. Yes. In a show called Battleground. So with Edward Woodward. He 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 introduced it, the equaliser. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Or, or Callan and, for the older viewers. Yes, that's right. And they had games, battles like Gettysburg, Waterloo, etc. Yeah. Um, and they would they would they reenacted them. And of course, I just played with my soldiers. And um, but it must have had a real impact on me because I can remember very early age. Instead of playing with my soldiers on the floor, I got my grand's card table out. And I put the soldiers on the card table because it was green. Yes. And I got dice out of probably Cluedo or, I don't know, Monopoly or something, and uh, started rolling the dice. And I was very, very young. And it didn't really work out that well. <laughs> but um, but that, even then, sub- con- went into my consciousness back, back back then. Obviously, that, that, that faded away. And then uh, the next big thing would be um, from a birthday, maybe 11, I've got a book called Famous Land Battles. Yeah. Agincourt to the Six Days War by somebody called Richard Humble. You ever come across that, Sean? I haven't, no. But I'm aware of similar similar books that would have those sort of historical battles in with yeah. a chapter so, uh, per battle. It had a picture of the Scotch Greys charging at Waterloo on the okay. on the front. And um it had maybe eighteen battles in it and it had diag it was maybe each each one was maybe four or five pages to each battle yeah. and it had diagrams and it had lots of great artwork and the pictures you know depicting the battle and I just thought this was brilliant and I read it over and over again and then maybe a year after that this is probably like many people for Christmas I got the Waterloo Farmhouse oh, set yes. from Apex. Oh, nothing's better um, from your childhood memories the Waterloo Farmhouse fabulous yeah um and uh, and also around about the same Christmas time, Waterloo film came on TV. <laughs> this this echoes my childhood so much. <laughs> yeah. So in my head now, I've obviously got some awareness that you can play games, but I don't know how to. I've never played them, and I've got. I'm I'm Napoleon, or I'm, or I'm Wellington, and yeah. uh, or I'm Lee, or I'm Grant, and I'm and I'm and I'm just thinking how good it would be to to, to reenact those battles. But the crucial next step, because back then, of course, and then this is really stating the obvious, there is no internet, there is no social media. There's, apart from that gate, that programme on the TV, there isn't much on the TV. I've got no club to go to. My father's not interested. But by pure luck, a guy that I knew at school, a classmate who wasn't a friend of mine, we must have got talking about it somehow. Figures, soldiers. And he said his dad was a war gamer. Oh, wow. So I thought, Oh, he has a war gamer. Well, what's that? And he said, well, he plays, you know. And then I must have remembered what I saw as, as a younger child. Yeah. And I really hoped he would invite me around his house to show me. 
Well, he never did. I don't know. Maybe he was an unsociable guy. <laughs> but what he did do was he came, the guy lad came in the next day and he said, listen, there's a magazine you can get called Military Modeling. And in that magazine, there were some articles about wargaming. So, and, it, and it, you probably, or you'll know this, but it was Battle for, incorporating Battle for Wargamers. Yes. Right. Yes. So, I went and bought it from WH Smith the next day, or later that, soon afterwards. And um, I remember it was mainly about military modelling, which interested me anyway. But there was a couple of articles about wargaming, one of which was a tabletop teaser. And I yeah. thought this is, and I thought this is, this is it. You know, I've got nobody else to speak to about it. But in this, in this magazine, he's telling me exactly what I want to do. Um, but even probably even better than that, there were adverts, <laughs> and the adverts for were for uh, board war games. So they had like, if you want to fight Waterloo, there's the, there's a board game for the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. There were rules, armies, etc. You could buy figures, and this was like an Aladdin's cave. Yeah. To me. You just flick that switch, you know, and then that was it. So, of course, I still have nobody to ask, nobody to speak to, no reference points. So I had to plump for something from the adverts. So I picked a set of War Games rules and a book. I picked War Games Research Group, 1685 to 1845, right? Okay. War Games rules. Yeah. Right? We may be touching them in a minute. Yeah. Um, and Donald Featherston's Battle Notes for War Gamers. Oh my goodness. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. in back then, twenty-eight days for delivery. Yeah. Right? I, don't, I don't know about you, Sean, but if if my next day Amazon slot is twenty-eight minutes late, <laughs> I'm getting a bit annoyed. <laughs> twenty-eight days. I know, mate, I know. In the time it took for the things to arrive, I'd got the next copy of military modeling and followed the tabletop teaser to a conclusion. Now you if if you you're a few years younger than me, but for other people that are listening, it was the one where the Spanish attacking a hill. Sorry, the French were attacking the Spanish in a, on a hill. And um, there's some guerrillas in the town sort of causing a bit of mayhem. Yeah. Uh, brilliant, brilliant battle. Um, anyway. Um, I'll, ju- I'll just clarify something for you, James. I've got a very big birthday coming up in nine days, and it's not my 40th. So <laughs> I'm thinking we can't be far off the same age talking about this. I'm a few years, 53 I am, so it's just a little bit older. Well, that's not much older, mate, then, yeah. Because <laughs> you, you are, you are uh, this is no word of a lie, you are echoing my experience completely because that military modelling magazine was my first contact as well. Fabulous. Yeah. And this, and this goes back to why the podcasts are so good because um, I get to listen to somebody having my Having, having talking about something that I know about, it's amazing. Yes. But if I, my regular friends, I don't go, go down the boat and talk about the time I bought the first episode of Military Modeling, do I? <laughs> no, that's right. Um, if I did, they would, they, you know, you just just get the rounding and, and and shut up, you know. You know <laughs> that's right. They think I'm crazy. They'd, Any, they'd send you to the bar and then you come back and they'd be gone. That would be my experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that's kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, it's brilliant, really. Um, so. So in so as I said in my head I want to be I want to be Wellington I want to be Napoleon I've I've read about the big battles I've got the I'm getting the war games rules here we go I'm getting the battle notes for war gamers it's going to be brilliant and um, so when it eventually arrived I think these things arrived very nearly the same time I might even have got them from the same place uh, obviously I can't remember but if you don't mind I want to quote from the very first line 
from uh, Battle Note for Wargamers by Donald Featherston. Yeah. So, as I say, I want to be Napoleon. So he says, the idea of refighting the famous battles of history, reproducing Waterloo, Gettysburg, Alamein, etc., on the war games table is a most attractive proposition. So I'm thinking, brilliant, ticking the box here. But then he goes on. Unfortunately, it is almost impossible to put into practice with any degree of realism. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking immediately. So, so Donald Featherston, the kind of um, godfather of uh, war gaming, is is kind of you know knocking my dreams, isn't he? Because yes. It's like, why? I was thinking, why would that be? He's sticking a pin in your balloon, isn't he? Absolutely. You know, I've waited all this time. It's going to be brilliant. And then I can't do what I want to do. Anyway, he then went on to explain, which is understandable. Back then, of course, rule sets would be very, would be much more detailed. Well, details, maybe not the word, but um, research based, like Wargames Research Group, they would, uh, they would have, the yards would convert into a certain scale and they would be a figure of ratios, but they wouldn't get much above one to 50. Yeah. So he, he explained that even at one to a hundred, you'd need 3000 figures for Waterloo and you need a, a, a table, the size of I don't know, a small village hall. Yeah. So anyway, I, I kind of, that seemed, I didn't, I did persevere. Although I was a bit disappointed and, uh, um, and then, of course, I looked at Wargames Research Group rules and they were one to 50. So me with a couple of hundred unpainted plastic airfix figures in a Waterloo farmhouse, I kind of worked out it'd be a long time before I refought the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it did put me off because board war games that you could buy on there um, sort of scratched the itch because I, could, I, could, I bought um, an SPI game called Napoleon's Last Battles. Yeah. And that kind of sort of filled that sort of void, if you like. Yeah, but I still hankered after big battles. Um, anyway, so my gaming would be solitary. It was only me, um, so I'd have to I'd have to get both sides, learn the rules myself, um, and eventually I co-opted a few school friends um, into playing. And what we did was, um, I also got a, a, a book back then. I think it was called something like War Game Scenario, not War Game, War Games Campaign by Tony yeah. Bass. Oh yes, yeah. And I know you've had um, Henry Hyde. Henry Hyde on, and he he he's big on imaginations, isn't he? Yes. And so, I created a kind of a my own sort of campaign world using the war games rules that I had, but using any figures that I had because it didn't matter. I didn't have to paint them correctly. I didn't have to wait to get new figures. And we used the um, sort of Belgium, if you like, from Napoleon's last battles because it had hexes. Because it wasn't very easy to get hexed paper in 1979. No, no. <laughs> um, and that was like that. We created a campaign from that, like rebel rebel forces against government. So that was that was kind of early gaming, and we got stuck into it. But but if you think about it, I didn't know then that I was a six millimeter gamer because I didn't know enough about six millimeter. But if you think about it, everything was in place. Um, I had to collect both sides. I wanted to fight big battles. I had limited funds because I was 13, 14 and had limited space, which was my my mother's dining room table. So all the seeds were sown. But but of course, I didn't I didn't really know it. Yeah, I don't want to go on and on about this. So then I went to university. So I finished school, went to university. I did no game in the university whatsoever because I had better things to do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, probably. 
What was that? Beer, probably. Beer chasing women and a limited amount of study. Yes. In that order. Yeah, in that order, yes, definitely in that order. Um, there was a kind of Dungeons & Dragons thing going on, but I, I never really got into that. So uh, so my gaming didn't start again until after that. Um, some of my mates at work, we we, lived, we shared a house. They were Dungeons & Dragons guys. We had a... We we got loads of micro armor by then, heroics and Ross, etc. Um, and I got my first six millimeter Polonix, which were irregular miniatures because I think they would be the main ones, as, along with heroics and Ross back yep. then. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I got to fight my first Waterloo. But believe it or not, right, I used a modified version of 1685 to 1845. Now, do you know those rules, Sean? Yes, yes, man, oh. I do. They're, they're quite I... renowned uh, at my club. To be honest, right? Can I just so remember? I first got these when I was thirteen, and nobody was there to teach me. Okay, <laughs> can I read? Can I? Can I? I mean, there were, in some ways, it's brilliant because you don't know when you first start out that what the concept of rules are meant to be. Yeah. So it had things about, um, you know, going through the start of it. You've got things about troop gradings that some troops are better than others, which squared with my knowledge of history, the limited knowledge that I had, elite yeah. and raw. You had things like different classifications of so some were fanatics and there was irregulars and there was different types of cavalry um leaders could be rash or bold or cautious this was all brilliant um you put them into higher groupings you could deploy them there was scouting and then and then you get to the sequence of play now i still think that even though i've been a war gamer for 30 what five 40 years I still don't think I understand this, but do you mind if I read it out? I don't, mate. Go ahead. <laughs> so, when you get to the sequence of play, remember, by the time you get to the sequence of play and you've read the rules, as I was doing when I was 13, there's no, the rest of the rules come after this, so you don't know what... The bit before that's about organisation and structure. Yeah. So it says... Uh, oh, sorry. The side whose bound it is... This is called the response phase, sorry. The side whose bound it is test unit's reaction in response to meeting opposition for the first time during the game being charged or to the player's wish that they charge or countercharge or for or rally from route or pursuit units that successfully tested to countercharge evade or make emergency formation charges do so those breaking as a result of the tests or that broke after shooting or hand-to-hand combat during the opposing sides bound immediately preceding make initial route moves and units that have not rallied from pursuit make pursuit moves the opposing side now move any of their units make initial charge moves during their bound immediately preceding (laughs) so it goes on now when i when i put this game on bear in mind rules weren't as good as they are now yeah yeah and this is not to say they weren't brilliant compared to nothing. And yeah. all, all, I'm not knocking um, the founding fathers of wargaming, but rules have probably got a bit more accessible now. Do you think? <laughs> I do think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to labour the point, but you get what you get. What I'm saying, right? Well, so, well, right. just 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 out of interest, sorry, James. Yeah. That that um, that that set of rules were were famous at my club for the button, uh, the rivet counters, if you like. But my, I had a very similar experience because I, around about the age of 13, I'd sent off to Tabletop Games for a copy of their To the Sound of the Guns Rules yeah, oh yeah. And, and some British and Napoleonic 15mm figures. Yeah. And my experience of reading those, 
very much mirrors your experience of reading them rules. Yeah, we shouldn't take speeches, but rules are really... <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I turned this, right, wait for this. So I, I, I persevered with them because I must have done. So we hired a village hall, uh, a Trapenna, which is sort of on the edge of the Lake District. And my friends came. Now, we didn't hire the village hall because we needed the space, but it was because there was a pub there and people had to come from different places and we hired a B&B. Yeah. The table itself was only about seven, uh, seven foot by five. Yeah. Because I scaled it down, and it was a, it was um, mainly irregular miniatures, six mil, and um, I broke the I broke the because I'd, I'd got a bit I'd grown up a bit, and I'd started work, and I'd followed the odd project and and a business plan and whatever. I broke these rules down into their individual segments. So yeah. instead of being four phases at the round here, there was something like nineteen, <laughs> and we played it. Obviously, a slightly scaled up version or scaled down version because you couldn't. Going back to Donald Featherston, you can't. You can't. Um, you need a lot of figures to play Waterloo. Yes. But yes. we did manage to get through it in two days. In right. two days and a lot of alcohol, probably more the alcohol than the game. But um, that was then. That was then. Anyway, so that was that. That was that. Um, so I did get to fight. We, we fight Waterloo eventually. But I suppose after that, rules did get a bit better. And I think that the real key for me after that was, well, we're talking about six millimeter. That was six millimeter gaming, and that was precisely because I'd found them, I'd come across them. They're relatively easy to paint, and they were cheap. Yes. So, um, and then after that, when I eventually got my uh, sort of first reasonable size house, I had, a, I was lucky enough to have a games room. So I moved to slightly bigger scales, ten, fifteen for various things. Um, different periods, different rules, different figure scales. I mean, I was rebasing my troops like there was no tomorrow. Did yeah. you go through a rebasing phase? Uh, yeah, just about probably every six months. Well, we call you, it the rebasing you years. We call yeah. it the rebasing years then. So yeah. principles of war. Oh, uh, yes. Um, and then, but then to dip fr- the Shaco, you could probably get away with playing those with the same bases. Yeah. Not, not that I didn't rebase them. Mm. So, um, and then and then various other things. Um, then I got into DBA, DBM, Blitzkrieg Commander, Cold War Commander. And I was lucky enough then to get a bigger house and I moved on to a bigger table. Um, but I was still, six mil was still my thing, even though I was able to play. Fire and Fury is probably the big thing for me because talking about war games rules are rubbish. When somebody introduced me to Fire and Fury, it was like, bloody hell, you can actually play a game and yeah. it's actually enjoyable. Yeah. And it feels like a, a count of a battle where there's a bit of ebb and flow. You're not kind of fighting against the rules all the time and trying to work out what's going on. Yeah. So that was, um, but then, so, but but all of that time though, I was never I was never a part of a club. Although we had a group of friends that played. I was living in Carlisle, a bit out the way. If there was a club, I, I never found out about it. Semi soloing, and uh, but but having my own space to play it, leave it up. For weeks on end etc yeah but of course the financial crash came along at 2008 i had to leave my house um find work elsewhere and then i kind of veered away from gaming because i didn't have a permanent um, i was in flat i was in um rented accommodation my house itself is still there and i still rent it out but i've not been back to it for over 10 years now right I don't think the person there uses it as a games room, but you know, oh. you know um, probably needs it as a double bedroom, probably. Mm. And, uh, and and so that was, that takes me up to sort of, I started doing contracting, so I was going all over the country. So 
but I really got back into gaming round about the same time that you got you, you started getting uh, publicising the six millimeter Godzilla scale maybe a couple of years back. Yes. And how I did that, how that came about was I was working in, I ended up working in Hitchin, uh, Hertfordshire. Yeah. And there's only so many times you can go to the pub when you're a contractor and, and you're working away from home. So I needed, desperately needed something else to do. So I thought, well, why don't I see if there's a war games club? And amazingly, around, around that part of the world, there's about 15. Right. And I happened to pick the one that was in Hitchin that was, um, uh, that had the most recent photographs. So they were, it was an active club. Yeah. And I, and I met the guys there, Pete, Black Wolf War Games Club in Hitchin. And I'm very thankful to those guys. They welcomed me. I was probably the only, the first new member for about 15 years, but nevertheless, they welcomed me. <laughs> um, I had no figures. They were all in stories. Sorry, I should have mentioned um, I got married and separated in that time. So all my figures are in storage. A lifetime's figures are in storage. So I've got nothing with me. Yeah. Um, but in order to want to be able to contribute to the club and take part and help out and put a game on myself, I needed to do something. But I only had a small car. All my stuff belongings are in, are in a case in the boot. So six millimeter fitted the bill perfectly. Yes. Um, I needed something that was easily transportable and I could get it. I could get it up and running really, really quickly. And um, and sort of from 2018 onwards is when I've really, really got back into the hobby. And I, what I would say about the hobby now um, is, it's obvious that I've, since, as you were mentioned, I've put war games on its shows. To me, um, I feel like I feel like I'd missed out on a, on time because the guys at the club have been war gaming with each other for 25 years every Thursday. Yeah. And as much as I'd war game quite a bit, I just thought, oh, you know, I've never really had that luxury of being able to do that. I know you've been a member of a club for a long time as well, haven't you? Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. So you'll know, you'll not imagine what it's like not to be able to do that. But of course, to me, this was a re- quite a revelation. Yeah. And um, a friend of mine who uh, I do board games, he got back in just me in my early 40s. We play board games every now and then. We maybe meet up six times a year and we play board war games. Yeah. Um, typically commanding colours, so commanding colours Napoleonics, commanding colours ancients. I said to him one day, I said, if we add up the number of commanding colour scenarios that we've got for all the games that we've got, and we continue to play six times a year, we will not get through the scenarios until we're 75. <laughs> you know? How depressing is that? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's, that's accelerating from what we normally do, which is get drunk and play half a game, so we're going to have right. to go some. Um, <laughs> So, um, to me, it's all about time now. I want to engage in the hobby fully. That's why I go on Twitter. It's great to speak to you. Why I put games on because I want to maximise my time in the hobby, which I probably didn't quite get to do as much as would have been great to have done um, had had things turned out a bit differently. Yeah. And um, and it's just so important to me now. I mean. You know, there's a lot more important things in life than gaming. Yeah. But to me, gaming is the most important thing after the important things, if you know yes. what I mean. I think about it regularly. I plan it. I, orga- I organise things. I mean, it, is it, there can't be many hobbies where you have to design things from scratch. You paint it. You research it. You, I suppose, I suppose um, maybe model, maybe modelling in general or model railways, perhaps. 
But at the end of that, you don't play a game, do you? You don't, you don't strategize, you don't imagine, you don't try and change history. Yeah. Um, you don't put yourself quite in in the in the shoes of a historical figure or a semi-historical figure. And to me, that's the um, allow myself to escape. And yeah. I enjoy it. It's what I want to do. So um, I'm looking forward to putting on games, you know, going forwards for the next for the next three years. And that pretty much gets us up to the present day. Gone. Well, <laughs> no, mate. I'm I'm going to reward you uh, second place. I think. <laughs> I don't Silver's think you've brilliant. Quite... Yeah, brilliant. silver's all right. You're on the podium. You're on the podium, <laughs> <laughs> mate. No, that's great. And uh, sitting here listening to that, and I'm thinking this echoes exactly my experience because I went through the principles of war phase. I went through the fire and fury. Fire and fury was my favourite game for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I can still remember some of those games that I played either down at the club or down at friends' houses where we were just so immersed. American Civil War has always been my primary interest. And to find that set of rules, having played the likes of tabletop games rules in the past, yeah. was, was an absolute revelation to think that, yeah, we can complete the Battle of Stones River in you know a long afternoon uh long evening or whatever but um yeah 100 percent, mate that absolutely echoes my experience and although i unlike yourself i, I dipped in and out of six mil in my earlier years of gaming it was really dictated by the clubs that i was a member of the the sort of games that i would play so um it's sort of late later in my wargaming life that i've, I've come to six mil and realize the full potential of absolutely it. yeah great um because it's the, there's many things isn't there and you, you're absolutely right that after the important things this is the most important thing i think that's a great a great quote because i can spend all day thinking there isn't a day goes by where i don't think about wargaming in one shape or another yeah whether yeah. it's planning a project uh, sitting and painting, whether it's reading a book, watching a film, uh, trawling the internet, pretty much from the moment I wake up in the morning till the moment I go to bed, uh, <laughs> on the hour, every hour, it comes into my mind. And my the wife... trouble is, it's always it's always planning the next project, not the one you're doing at the moment. <laughs> That's right. Well, I've I've said before that I can wake up thinking about a new pro- project in the morning, change my mind by lunchtime, and in the afternoon I'm on the third project and ordered figures for it. So. Uh, it's, it's it's a fairly quick process. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, magic. And Fire and Fury. Honestly, I came back and told my friend. I said I've just come across a game. Uh, a guy called Mark Dudley. I don't know if you know him. Um, no. He 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 does something. I think he's with the Ilkley lads. So I, I worked at Bradford and Bingley at the time, and so did he. Somehow I got invited to his, and and he he had, he had already had a quite a young man, but he already had a loft. With a full war games, <laughs> it was wow. oh, this was brilliant. I had, I had a t- at that time I had a two foot by three foot table, <laughs> which I was using for six mil. But he had fifteen millimeter. It was the first day of Gettysburg, and they lost the position. Then we retook the position, yeah. and that was exactly like what I re- I'd read um, about going back to famous land battles. In, yeah, and it was just um, it was like a whoa. Eventually, you realise they were a bit they were a bit random, maybe, but. Mm. But then, compared to what had gone before, they were they were a complete revelation. They were, and then of course you got big battle rules though, uh, Napoleon's yes. battles, uh, Grand Grand Armee by Sam Mustafa. Um, yeah, 
suddenly they're designed to play almost with six mil or, or you're going to get a battle played in the evening. And that was yes. a, another revelatory moment as well when those things started to come out. Well, again, this is something that's been talked about before, but Bear's saying again that um, I think people who want to recreate the great battles from history, like many of us do, and in our younger days always thought was absolutely impossible because you had to do it at 1 to 20 or 1 to 50. There's now rules out there with mechanisms designed for you to play those games at that grand tactical level that they call it, don't they? So that's one down from the strategy type board game. Yes. You're playing at the grand tactical level where um, a base represents a unit and, and likely to be a brigade at that level um, so that you can play out the games. And, and uh, the uh, Napoleonic rules blucher, which have oh, yeah. come onto my radar fairly recently, mainly due to Alex on the Storm of Steel. Yes, um, you you can absolutely play out some of the largest battles of history um, on a tabletop and get a plausible result. Well, I've got uh, funny enough. I've got talking about projects. I've got blucher in in two inch squares, and then the playing card size. Yes. And um, Blucher is just to me. With Grand Armée, the two-inch squares for, were for Grand Armée. Um, and then the, uh, the the playing card side were, uh, were for Blucher. But obviously you can play. It's just about base widths, isn't it? That's all that matters. For, for, and they're, they're a great rule set. Um, I contacted Sam Mustafa, actually, during lockdown and just thanked him because uh, they are such a clean set of rules. There's virtually no errata. You can, everything that you need is in the book. There's no supplements. Um and you can play a game in an evening. Yeah. Oh, and, and when I went to Hitchin, the lads played Luca in six millimeter. So wow. again, that was like all my dreams come true. It was great. Yeah, I bet, I bet. There's a YouTube channel. I can't quite think the name of it now, but um, they use a computer program called Tabletop Simulator. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's an American guy, and he plays out battles. He, he does a lot of Command and Colors, but he, he plays some battles in uh, using Luca. On this tabletop simulator, and there was a recreation of Austerlitz that he did a few months ago, that's yeah. really, really ticked all of my boxes. Because, like you wanted to fight Waterloo, Austerlitz has always been the one that has attracted me in in the Napoleonic period, and I've never played it. I'm 50, yeah. and 10 days I've never played the Battle of Austerlitz, and yet I read the Christa, Christopher Duffy book on Austerlitz 30 more than 30, 30 years ago actually when I was at school yeah I got that out uh, of the library yeah. yeah and it's it's always had a fascination for me uh, hence me now looking to do that in two mil um oh my using word, yeah um using using Bluka. so I've got all the all the bases have arrived this week the MDF bases for that so uh, that that will be done at some point but it, it, it's like we've already said so these projects. We we could dream up projects at, at the drop of a hat, can't we? So, so many projects, so little time. Exactly, mate. Especially at our age. <laughs> <laughs> yes. okay. uh, so you've you've talked about your love of uh, six mil gaming throughout your life, really. By the sounds of it, when you were doing the irregular uh, miniatures, was it using the blocks or the strips? Balls. Originally, it was strips, which was the. Uh, so in Napoleon's battles, we'd put two strips instead of four 15 millimeter figures. Yeah. Um, uh, the blocks I used for, uh, I used them for uh, Grand Armée 
two blocks yes. on a two blocks offset kind of checkerboard style yeah um on a two inch square now i use two inch squares just to keep it smaller because of space and yeah and time but to me it's all about playing the game so play the game as quick as you can get the figures get get the game played that's the most important thing yeah. um and it doesn't really matter about the spectacle quite so much although what i would say was six millimeter when you're playing on a four by three and you and and there's a flank attack in a bluker game um it still looks like it's some to your eye it kind of looks the right distance away yes yes if that had been 15 millimeter or 28 millimeter it, it would just look like they were right next to you or there were a group of people standing on the edge of a uh, you know the battle it, it doesn't, yeah it doesn't quite feel like there's a core arriving <laughs> but it's all about suspension of of disbelief isn't it it's all about yes. what you what's in your head yeah. so in a way that doesn't matter but if you ask me what i prefer which of course or what looks better to me the six millimeter does look a little bit better for those big battle rules um another big battle set of rules was folly and bayonets oh yes yeah now the only we, i've played all, i still it so i hope yours goes better than ours folly and bayonet just you've got to try and get the allies off the hill that's the thing because if yeah. you stay on the hill it's not Austerlitz, is it? There's got no. to be a mechanism to encourage them or force them or some way of getting them into the valley. Otherwise, yeah. it, it doesn't quite work. As a Which is what happens historically, isn't it? But with with the benefit of hindsight, I'm not sure why the Allies would come off that hill. Correct. And and what, what, what's what been crossing my mind lately was, is, is maybe we shouldn't play any historical games. Yeah. Because we all know, if I say, if I my next Joy of Six game and you, you come and join me and we play in Waterloo, it probably will be, by the way, but, but leaving that aside, it, if it is Waterloo, you'll know what it is. I'll know what it is. We know everything about it that could ever be known. Whereas if we were on the battlefield on that day, we didn't know it was Waterloo. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was just the battle there and then. So one of the best things about Blucher is the campaign system that allows you to... Um, create scenarios from a campaign yeah. so you might still be using the waterloo 1815 um uh army lists or yes. army generator and you create your own battle of waterloo but it won't be the battle of waterloo it might be the battle of somewhere else but it, you can still recreate it but maybe you've just got to sort of take one step back and just because we know too much about the battle we know the Prussians have probably arrived even if we know they're not going to arrive we'll know there's a one in three chance of them arriving yes or we can do the odds yeah um and it just wasn't like that in reality was it no no are, are you familiar with little wars tv and their yeah that's a great brilliant brilliant uh youtube channel that yeah and they did in their season one um i don't know if you've seen it the trebia game um <laughs> where the players the umpire set the game up and the players didn't know they were refighting trebia um they thought it was a different battle in the punic wars Yes. Um, because, and I can't quite remember the detail of, of what was specific about Trebia, but had the players known it was Trebia, then they would have acted very differently because they it's knew the ambush. How, the ambush, there you go, the ambush. Um, they would have acted very differently, but they thought they were fighting a different yes. game by a river uh, and so acted uh, completely as you would normally with the, the table set, set up. And then obviously when uh, the trap is sprung, uh, the you know the uh, blinkers are, are taken off and they they know what they're up against. Well, funnily enough, you know, saying that my my, my friend who's a board gamer and we meet up every now and then. Yeah. Brendan, 
we refought Treby with commanding colours. Yeah. So you have the same problem. But the fortunate thing was that he drank so much wine, he forgot about the ambush. To be oh, fair, he was. Oh. And then I sprung the ambush later on in the scenario. You can't always rely on alcohol, though, can you, to fog the mind? Correct, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe at the joy of six, to give everybody six cans. Yeah. <laughs> now, that would be a plan. That would yeah. be a plan, yeah. I do plan okay. to stay over next year, hopefully. So uh, <laughs> that would be good. Um, so okay. to, you wanted me to talk about my general 6mm, I think. We've got 6mm gaming because we yes. almost got onto it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we nearly got there, mate. Yeah, so <laughs> Let, let's go there now, shall we? Right, but so, so I've always, personally in my life, I've always identified with the underdog. Yeah. Um, and certainly in the early years, six millimeter got no coverage at all. Yeah. And I quite like that because it was me, I was doing it, and I, it was me, it was me and my six millimeter figures against the gaming world. <laughs> Insofar as I knew what a gaming world was, because again, I was a solo war gamer and there was probably little internet, but. There was a bit of that going on, um, but I wasn't a great painter, and to this day I'm not a great painter, but I can paint 6mm, just to let you know, a lot of the stuff I get painted professionally, right, for time reasons, yeah, yeah. but I do occasionally paint, and I paint terrain and, and bits and pieces, I do a lot of basing, but I, I'll tend to get somebody to paint for me, but when I was younger, 6mm, I can paint that, you know, it's not that hard, Um I was more interested in the game than 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 the, the spectacle. Although we've talked about the spectacle, actually turns out to be better in a way. Yeah. I had to get both sides. Space was an issue. Time was an issue. Cost was an issue. Therefore, six millimeter would be my logical thing. And would you believe it or not, the first six millimeter project I ever did um, was just—I think it was just at the end of school because I had to take—I um, didn't go to university straight away because. Expecting my grades to be so poor, which is quite a pertinent thing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, Thank exactly. God they didn't have they didn't have to rely on the mocks or something then. Yeah, algorithms. Yeah, algorithms. Yeah, I'd, I would have struggled. Um, but I had to take a year out, so I think it was it was then I had a little bit of money, and um, I put on Pony Wars in six millimeter. Wow. Now this is in 1985. Yeah. And we scaled it down. So instead of it being an eight foot by five, I think it was you need for Pony Wars, it was a four foot by three. It was the size of my four and a half by three. It was the size of my mother's dining room table. Right. And um, we used to regular miniatures. So, so, so back then, that was my first proper six millimeter experience. And all my school friends who'd gone to university, they came back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that they came back and they all came round. It was their first Christmas or summer, whatever it was, back home and we played a few a few games of that and that was just fun so so talking about fire and fury being fun thinking about it there was a fun game around back then but it was it was hard to find wasn't it so, yes yeah yeah so that was my kind of first six millimeter project and a quick aside have you ever played have you ever played uh pony wars i haven't no i've seen that i've seen it on a show oh god back in the it must have been around about 1990 91 something like that and I did buy the rules, but I didn't have the foresight that you did because I thought, my God, you need a lot of figures for this. 600 mounted graves. <laughs> but, but, but the guy in the rules says you can use anything. Don't worry about it. Use blocks. Right. Use pieces of card. Okay. Um, I, I must have missed that sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Or I've made it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think in my mind that's what he said, but maybe maybe it's 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 in the midst of time. Yeah. But Pete Berry, who you interviewed, he's saying it's coming back, and yes. he's almost going to literally reprint it as 
as was. Yes. But he's going to make the cards, which doesn't have to make things a lot easier because even finding something to make cards with in the mid 80s, we had to find a business cards from WH Smiths and then hand write about 150 cards. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but my friend Michael, who's been one of my gaming buddies for a long time, um, you don't know the rules, but um, it's just fun. It's just a fun game. You, you play one side and the, and, the, and the Indians take care of themselves. Um, uh, Native Americans, sorry, take care of themselves. And um, he, it, it, it's subtitled B Troop Ain't Coming Back. That's right, yes. Yeah. And my mate Michael was commanding B Troop. So we played it about three twos, and trust me, B Troop never, never came back. <laughs> and um, there's one option where you can pool your ammunition so that if people die, the ammunition doesn't die with them. Right, and we were quite competitive, even though we were only playing against the game. Uh, and we kept saying to Michael, "Will you please pull your ammunition? You, you guys are dying, and they're dying with ammunition. Time. If you pull your, and he took no notice of it until about uh, four or five turns into the game, and then he pulled his ammunition. Right, and then there's a small chance that if you pull your ammunition, your ammunition explodes. Okay, <laughs> and literally the turn he did it, his ammunition exploded. He was inside a building, and B troops certainly wasn't coming back." <laughs> And you can't write these moments, and they stick in your mind, and this game, yeah. and, and, and it was like, we were all young, and we were all 18, 19, 20, and it was just so funny. That's what gaming gives you, though, isn't it? It gives you those moments. You've talked about that first day Battle of Gettysburg, which I must have played three or four times using the Fire and Fury scenario. Yeah. And I can remember standing in my mate's house, uh, this would have been early to mid-90s, John Barlow, if you're listening, You'll remember this. We were there's three or four of us playing that scenario, and the game came down to the very last die roll of the game oh, as to whether or not the um, Confederates could get the Union off. Um, it was probably Culp's Hill, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, the guy who was playing the uh, the Union wrapped himself in. John had got the flag, the flags up on the wall, the stars and stripes, and the Confederate flag, <laughs> uh, which is probably a bit controversial now. But this was the mid nineties. <laughs> Yeah, wrapped himself in the stars and stripes and rolled uh, rolled the dice and, and got what he needed to win the game. And it, it, these are things that just stick with you, aren't they, throughout your game? Absolutely. Life. Well, I'm telling you, and you're telling me. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it yes. was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I can remember that, but I can't remember what I did last week. But there you go. That's ages. <laughs> hey, what were we talking about just now? I have um, no idea. Um, <laughs> so my, so that was that was my first. But so we'd always had. I suppose we'd always had micro armor, and actually, War Games Research Group, nineteen twenty-five to nineteen fifty, yeah, wasn't a bad set of rules. A bit simpler, yeah. uh, honestly, a bit simpler. We also had Cambrite Signer. Yes, yes, I have that. Yeah. And again, not, not not the easiest thing, but but you could play a game. And but what we used to do was we, because we only had the collections that we had, we'd fire every single. There was not an infantryman in sight. It was wall to wall, <laughs> wall to wall armor. Yeah. And you'd have tanks from 1939 and tanks from 1945 okay. hurling across a, an empty plane, um, getting taken out by 88s. But again, that was good. And um, so we've mentioned um, later on playing uh, with the regular miniatures. Uh, I actually, we haven't mentioned this so far, I actually put on a game of Catch a Brat, my first ever game. Okay. Um, I was living in Teesside with work and there was a red car show. I can't remember what it was called. It'll be defunct now, the show, but it was at Red Car. And I put on a, a game of Catabra 
using Napoleon's battles on a five foot by four, even though the scenario only acquired a three foot, but we made it a bit bigger so yeah. that the reserves could come on the table rather, so beyond the table rather than come on the table. Um, so that was an early six millimeter. There was no sign of any other, apart from regular miniatures being there, there was no other six millimeter games being played. And, that, and that's been true, uh, even though I've always been a six millimeter gamer, very few games at shows would be six millimeter. Yes, true, very true. And that's a fairly common theme, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. And I've, n- I've never played the larger scales, um, really, uh, no. until very recently, which we might touch upon. No. Um, but I think, and I, I'm sure Pear Broders mentioned this, he will have done, I'm sure, either on your podcast or on another that I've heard, about the, the, the approach you can take when you scale things down or yep. up. So in, in my mind, I've had two types of six millimetre gaming. When I haven't had the space or the time or the money, I've scaled things down. So you'd miniaturise it. Best example of that being just, just giving it Pony Wars, halving the size of the table. Yes. But having the same number of figures, but they're in six mil, not 15. So it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. And scale it down. The other side is big battle. So you don't scale it down. You take the rules as written which might be designed for 6 mil, but often they're designed for 15 or, or larger. Yeah. But you use the same base sizes and you convert them for 6 millimetre and then you get the big battle feel. It's probably yeah. still economical because you're not spending as much on the figures, but you're not trying to miniaturise it in any way, shape or form. And we've already touched upon Bluka being a great example of that because that's designed, it's, no one says it's for 6 millimetre, but the, a Bluka base and Storm of Steel's Waterloo that you mentioned earlier. Yes. What a great spectacle that is. It's probably only slightly bigger than 6x4. Yeah. Beautiful bases. The units look like you. They look like brigades, don't look like the they do. when they're in the line. Yeah, it's a fantastic effort by all. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant stuff. And um, so, so, you've got, so, so you've got that. But, but, but at the moment, what, what I'm doing, you might have seen the odd thing that I've posted on Twitter. I've got War, Wars of the Roses. Um, six millimeter, obviously, uh, and I've miniaturized that one, which was going to be to the strongest, but I ended up finding Bloody Barons, yeah, which has got um, four by four zones, yeah. So I've got that one down because because the table, if if I don't play on the bed, which I'm I'm on, as I mentioned at the start <laughs> before we started, I'm on my wargaming's table, which is the which is the bed, yeah. Um, the dining room table is very small, yeah, um, and I get that one down to two foot by eight. With six mil, but each unit's it feels like a unit because you don't have to worry about scaling. You don't have to worry about figure removal because you keep it as one whole unit, which is great. That's that's the latest version, isn't it, of Bloody Barons? Yes. Yeah, I was I was on the playtest team for that actually. Um, I I do a lot of the playtesting for all of Peter Pig's uh, rules. I'm good friends with Martin Goddard and the uh, the Weymouth Levelers. Yeah. Um, and it that the original Bloody Barons was probably one of my favourite set of War Games rules ever. Ever, and I was quite resistant to the idea of it going over to these zones, uh, which is basically a, a gridded surface, a tabletop, isn't it? That's but, right. Yeah. Um, I, I I I was I was um, converted to it after playing it a few times, and I'd forgotten that it was you actually, James, that had uh, put those pictures up of those Wars of the Roses games on the rfcm forum that's right yes yeah i did pop some on there yeah yeah i'd forgotten about that they looked amazing that, that, that's that's two foot eight by one one and a half feet that's unbelievable 
Absolutely unbelievable. Okay. Lovely. Yeah. Work. You've got to crouch down and take yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If I took a wide angle, you'd see the TV and you think, well, that's tiny. Uh. <laughs> but uh, that you create that you, for whatever, however you do it, it just creates that depth of field where yeah. it looks like a battlefield full of uh, thousands of men. Well, talking of rules for the common man, um, I, 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 I miniaturized PBI. Right. Oh, that's right. I've seen that as well. I've seen that as well. <laughs> um, and what I would say about that is I'm not sure that works in, quite as well. Okay. So, so six mil works for many things. But for that one, I took the same number of figures put on the smaller bases. And this, instead of the squares being four inches, I made it 85 millimeters. Okay. I've got a tiny war games custom map. I, the, the beauty of it is you've got all the charts around it. Yes. The, the time track down one side little flag to show which the, the axis and the allies um the assets are on the mat but it doesn't quite work as a spec it looks quite pretty yeah it doesn't quite work because the figures are just too small at, at, at world war Two. you need to know what, who's got an smg who's got a rifle who's got an LMG. No idea. yeah no, the figures have got paratroopers against um i think germans in smock yes and even though they are different you can't tell the difference from any yeah. i wouldn't normally want to say that because it's a, a common misnomer about six mil but there are just some things that don't work quite as well yeah i'd agree and that's one of them but you can take some skirmish rule sets which you might touch on in a minute yeah all you do is you make them a bit you, you make the figures a bit bigger and then you get you create a little bit of a mass effect yeah but instead of being one figure it might be worth 12 yes so, um but I was playing in lockdown, uh, Rommel. Now, Rommel's a great rule set. Have you come across Rommel? I've seen the review and the game that Little Wars did, and I was really attracted to the, the concept of it. So I'm, I'm really interested to explore that. Yeah, so um, the thing about Rommel is it's, it's, it's grid-based, so it was actually quite easy to, to, to allow people to play it remotely. So I had the, the table on the bed, and the guys remotely just had it on a map. Yeah, um, but the map was a grid map that I sent them, which is just the same as the table. Right, and they just put the figures together how they wanted to, and that looks great in six millimeter. And it, and I use a four, just less than a four by three for the for one game, but I have played it on a three by two. Wow, the squares are a little bit cramped at three by two. Yeah, because they're only seven and a half inch, so three three inch squares. Yeah, but at four inch squares, again, you just get that feel of it. But but with that one, I tried to make the figures sort of chunky and look like they were counters on a game rather than figures. That, so it doesn't look like the Wars of the Wars. You were trying to make it look um, accurate. Yeah. It more looks like a game. Yeah. It's a bit like, um, you know, like the, the RAF would move their planes around. Yes. Yeah. It's that kind of feel that I, w I was after. I know um, what you mean, yeah. But, it, but as long as the rule set is good and you can suspend disbelief, does it really matter? Yes, yeah. Um, I've also got, uh, at the moment, I've got um, uh, big bloody battles, bloody big battles. Right, yeah. The uh, Chris Pears set, is it? Chris Pears wrote those. That's right, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're perfectly designed for six millimeter, um, but I use the regular miniatures blocks for them for Russia Turkish War. Yep. Um, and they, they, they look great. Uh, but I've got to tell you that I have been turned onto the dark side of 28mm recently. Uh-oh. 
Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, you're breaking up now, James. I'm sorry, I'm losing. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> um, so infamy, infamy's come out. You may have noticed. Yes, yeah, I've got I own that set. Of when I first knew they were coming out, I was still in Hitchin, but uh, so I expected to be in Hitchin for another six to nine months, and I knew guys there would play it. Yeah. So I thought I'll get aside in 28 because I've got a table space to play it. It's only 60, 80 figures. That can't be too bad, you know? <laughs> um, Famous last words. Yeah, yeah. But of course, with lockdown and then my contract changing and working from home, I'm unlikely to return there. And I had to then get the other side because you have to, don't you? Of Once course. You, you, can't, you can't stop a project in mid... Well, you can't. <laughs> Eventually, you've got to finish a project. Yes. And... Um, so I've got it in 28. Well, can I just, the cost is ridiculous. Yeah. But not the cost. I mean, you could also, well, you know it's going to cost more. I mean, it's obvious. But the, st- the storage, yeah. I can store my entire six minute collection in, 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 in the same space that I've put my, my um, Celtic village. <laughs> it is ridiculous, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, people. Listen, down down there, there's people that can put. have got a double garage with a with a with a games room above it. And if I had a double garage with a game room above it, I think I would also have a bit of twenty eight millimeter. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably have six millimeter and do Leipzig. Yes. Um, or Vagram. Or both. Or <laughs> yeah. all of them simultaneously. Whilst yeah. To get any of them completed. Yes. So. Uh, Never getting anywhere. So that so so I mean I just wanted to stress there that there's so many different ways you can use six millimeter but but um, once I got back into gaming and when you'll have seen come across me from the from the joy of six um, you wanted to talk about Culloden yes I suppose, definitely I suppose that if 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 you'd like to talk about that now then all those themes that we've talked about there are still sort of running in the background but I said to you that when I when I joined the club I wanted to do something that they could. That that I could share with the guys and play. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I landed upon, um, they were playing to the strongest. And at that point in time, there was a rule set came out called for King and Parliament, which would be the um, English Civil War version yes. of to the strongest. The beauty of that was it was grids. And I used to be quite against grid games, but then I, I came around to thinking, well, it doesn't have to get rid of a lot of disputes. Yeah. So it might be ideal for a participation game. Although, when I first thought about it, I had no idea what I was going to do. And um, I bumped into, I did, I bumped into, I specifically went to a war game show to speak to Pete Berry. Yes. Uh, I was to, mainly to buy figures and just chat to him for a moment too, because he's a six he, he's a six millimeter man, isn't he, really? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and I asked him if there was a space for a game. It just literally came to me while I was there. I thought, okay, maybe I could put on a game. Um, and he said that, he said, yeah, okay, yeah, you can, you can. He came back to me a week later and said, yes, there's a space. But that was the year before Culloden. Right. So in that year, um, my whole idea and my rationale thinking about it was, going back to me as a child when I, or a young man when I couldn't play the games I wanted to because it was too expensive, I thought, why do I want to put on games that quite clearly everybody could do? Yeah. Everybody. With, with a very low expense, with very small space, there's nothing that would stop you from doing that very quickly. Yeah. So I picked, deliberately picked a, a very, very small game. It was a, so it was an ECW game. I called it, it's halfway down. 
it was it was a theoretical, um, not a real uh, battle of the English Civil War, and I put that on in Drive Six in 2018. I was quite nervous about it because you know I didn't know what what to expect, and if I think back about it now, I, I was talking to Pete Berry and saying things like, "I hope you don't mind, Pete. I wouldn't mind putting a game on it. You sure?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." Um, it's only a small game. It's only got small figures. And of course, he said, yeah, 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 that's fine. Forget, of course, he's the main man and it's the premier six millimetre war game show in the world. Yeah. And I'm half apologising for wanting to put on a small six millimetre game. <laughs> yeah. But that's the where, irony. The that's irony. where you get a little bit predetermined because you don't see the games very often. Yeah. And he was he was laughing. It took me a while to realise, well, that was a stupid thing to be apologising for. He manufactures yes. things. And he's putting on the show, so why would he mind if you put on a small six millimetre game? Yeah. But it was a very small six millimetre game. It was three foot by two, and I just put put a picture of it on Twitter with the with the with the next two following on from that. Yeah. And uh, um, it was quite well received, but I did it on my own. But I'm thinking thinking about it now. The one game, the one show I would like to go to and wander around is the Joy of Six. Yeah. But when you put a game on, you're stuck in one place. You? Yes, yeah, absolutely. You are, but yes. the benefits of doing that outweigh the fact that I didn't get... I got to speak to people before it started and at the end, and I had a break in the middle. But And that was quite well received. But it was only... It was a gridded game, but it was only on uh, three by two, and it was only on a cloth. So while it looked quite pretty, and it was well received, I just needed to ratchet it up a little bit, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, can I just interrupt you there for a second? This yeah. this is the wonder of modern technology. We talked about our growing up um, in the in the eighties and nineties where there was no internet, no social media. I'm now looking at the pictures that you've just put up, and I agree, it looks absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. mini little game, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it went down quite well. And um, but I kind of got the buzz for it then. I was very nervous about doing it. Very nervous. But I shouldn't have been because it's a six millimeter community. Yeah. But there you go. And um, but as far as Culloden's concerned, I just wanted to make it a little bit better. But yeah. I wanted to stick to the principles of um, it's a small game. Anybody can do it. I just wanted to look a little bit nicer, a little bit prettier, a little bit bigger, but still stay quite small. Yeah. I want to stay a little bit bigger. It only goes to the plane surface, only goes to three foot square. But when I was doing the research, I was thinking back to my battle notes for war gamers remember that the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and um that's the one with the red cover isn't it and it's got a picture of the uh is that the one am i thinking the right one yeah yes yeah, so don featherston who, who who told me i couldn't do big battles but he's yes. a small battle it was a small battle um he, he he the whole idea about that was it was small battles that you could recreate easily from history yes and preston pans was one of them so i kind of thought preston pans but it's only a 20 minute battle in reality. Oh, okay. Right. So I thought, well, there's no way I can make it last only 20 minutes with the best will in the world. So yeah. you can't have a battle that lasts longer than the actual battle. <laughs> no. um, and when I looked at Culloden, it just fit perfectly into 12, a 12 square grid. Pete Berry had brought out the Highland um, for the ECW range. Yeah. They would obviously double up as Highlanders because they're just the same, you know, as pretty much the same 100 years later or 50 yes. years later. And um, when I did the final research, it just fitted perfectly. The only thing was, the terrain itself is a flat plane with no distinguishing features at all, really. Yeah. So I so thought, how am I going to make that look good? So I thought, I'll, I'll get a custom-made map, which is 
what you referred to earlier. Um, Tiny Wargames did a great, a great job of that. And it was just putting the, um, when I thought by the idea of putting the board around the edge and putting the name of the battle on the side and the flags at either end, because I was using coins for morale, a little coin area, and because I was using some cards for pre-game and, and, and sort of card play in the battle, a little area for the cards, it just brought it to life. Yes. And of course, the table itself just, and when the figures go on there, it was just it was just fabulous. And that went down really well. And I took that, the Joy of Six, where you'll have seen it, but I also took it around three other shows. Yeah. Um, but my experience there was a, it was a bit mixed, I would say, because even though you know you've got a good six millimetre game and you know it goes down well at a six millimetre show, you can't be sure how it's going to go down alongside the 28 millimetres, the massive battles, the professional battles done by people like Two Fat Ladies who turn up, it's their living and they turn up with a beautiful table. Yeah. Um, so you're sort of competing for people's attention. So I wasn't quite sure how that would turn out. And it, and it turned out quite well. But... Um, because I publicised it, I think you did you did a job of, uh, of of advertising it as well, and we got a few people to play. Yeah. But there's always that little edginess that you think is six millimeter really the same. Yeah. Follow? Is it um, is it quite got the spectacle of the larger scales? Yeah. I mean, I think it has, and I'm sure you think it does, but well, you never can be quite sure, can you? No, and and that's right. At the jury of six, it's a captive audience, isn't it? It's people. Yeah who know what they're walking into um, and have got, hopefully, have either got or will get a uh, similar passion for the, uh, and know what six mil can do. Whereas you're absolutely right. If you go to the partisans, if you go to the salutes, go to the, the bigger shows around the country, you are up against generally 28 mil games. There's very little, not 28 mil in, Correct. in, in, um, in land warfare anyway there might be the odd naval or um aerial game but uh it's very difficult to find something that isn't 28 mil um quite often there isn't two fat lardies yeah, a lot of the yeah. demo games are two fat lardies um certainly there was a partisan last year i think where it, it felt like three quarters of the the games on show were, were using two fat lardies rules uh, and for for very good reason, they're very good rules. Um, but even even the um, to the strongest and for Kingdom Parliament by Simon Miller, you're talking about huge tables with huge amounts of 28 mil figures on. And I've talked about this endlessly. That if you're a newcomer into the hobby, and you you'll walk up to that game that Simon Miller put on, and I can think of in particular the Romans versus uh, Celt game where Rome's uh, the Romans. Um, legions are charging up a hill it's a it's an absolute wonderful spectacle but you're talking about a table that was probably 12 foot long and they've got thousands of 28 mil figures on so if you're new to the hobby and looking at that as an example of what wargaming is well yeah, and you're thinking you want to get into the hobby that that's a long way off for you isn't it absolutely and so my whole idea is and the people that speak to me were, were were more than happy to see it that way because they were partly converted. There aren't that, there aren't a huge number of new people that arrive at game shows, but I would always hope that the young version of me would turn up and see I can do it. Yeah, that's my hope because um, I never had that chance to, to to see that when I was younger, and I just like to think that that might happen going forwards. Someone yeah. might think, and it did actually happen. I put the show on at Phoenix, which is a small war war game show. Um, 
in Penrith. Yeah. And a guy subsequently, the uh, a guy who painted some of the figures for me said the guy a guy approached me and wanted the same done for him, and he wanted the rule he wanted the rules off me and the modifications so he could put it on. I thought, well, he could do that quite quickly. Whereas if he the best will in the world, if he turns up at a mega game, he can't unless no. he's got a club to go to. He if he's a solo walker, if he just wants to, if he he doesn't necessarily even going to be a 15 year old or 16 year old. He might be a 30 year old guy who, who's got an interest in, but with the benefits of the internet now, he can turn up at a show. He's always been sort of interested on the margins. Yeah. Where's he going to start? He can come and sit down, have a game with me. I'll explain to him that he, you know, for the raw metal, it, it's only 30 quid, 40 quid, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you don't need a custom mass. The rules are 20 quid, 100 quid, and you you're away. Yes, and, and and if you don't want to paint it, I can give you the name of the painter, and he's very reasonable. It might cost you the two hundred quid on top of that, and it's not, yeah. off, and you can ha- and you can be playing a game within a few weeks and months yeah. rather than I don't know how long it would take you to um to to, to start a twenty eight millimeter serious project if you'd not done it before. And I don't think it's just about finances, although that is a it, it is to be taken into consideration. But painting the same number of figures that you've used in your Culloden game, if you are not going to send it off to a professional painter, and even if you send it off to a professional painter, that can be months and months, can't it, to get that number of of figures painted. And if you're going to paint them yourself, well, you're looking at two to three years, surely, aren't you? And also the space, so that it's three-inch squares, and each unit is 24 figures, six six strips, at least the the regular troops are, yeah, yeah, basically. Now, if you double that to six inch squares, you can perhaps get 12, 28 millimeter on the same footprint. Yeah. And if you do that, and if, and if that isn't too expensive, if you have the great skill as a painter for be able to paint 28 millimeters to a reasonably good standard, and if you can do it quite quickly, when it ends up on the table, you need a six foot square table, which is a slightly unusual size to try and reach the middle. Yeah. Um, not a lot of the battle clone happens in the middle line. It happens at one end and it's over yeah. very quickly. But, uh, the um but it still looks like a small number of figures line line to line yes if you look at the culloden game it looks like a battle map of culloden it does and the other thing that influenced my um which i'd forgotten about which i could have mentioned earlier one of the things that influenced my childhood was uh um jason and the argonauts do you remember that yeah i do yeah i'm sure there's a scene in jason might be another film but i'm sure there's a scene in jason and the argonauts where the gods are looking over the human characters in animated form. Yeah. And it might be on a chessboard or yeah. a little bit like it. And they are pawns in their game. Mm. So you play Culloden, you're only you're only two and a half feet away, three feet away from your, your opponent. Yes. You can reach across the table. When you move one unit, one square, it's like a piece on a chessboard. Yeah. There's a certain feel to it. It's not to everybody's cup of tea, but that's the kind of... I feel like you're, you're eyeballing your opponent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a bit like chess, in a way. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, Try and psych them out. Move, every move matters. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we digressed a bit there. What, what drew you to Culloden, then, in particular? Um, although I'd mentioned that it, my first my first attempt was uh, a fictitious battle. Um, it's the last major land battle. A lot of things go back to Donald Featherstone's Battle Notes for Wargamers and just it sticks in my mind about the 45 Rebellion. Yeah. The rules range, the, the, the set of rules that I, that I like about the English Civil War, um, 
were easily transferable. I mean, every war game has got a project that they'd like to tinker with a set of rules. Yeah. And I, I was sure they would work perfectly well for the 1745 rebellion. Um, I'm li- I live on the border, so I understand the rivalry between England and Scotland. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the um, it's come from Carlisle. The, the the Jacobites took Carlisle in 1745. Some of them were gruesomely executed in 1746 or 1747. Bonnie Trowley stayed on the edge of the town. It's just part of you know my understanding of British history, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and I don't. I, I'm I'm a gamer more than I'm a historian, but. Nevertheless, it's also an iconic battle, isn't it? It was it was do or die. Yeah. And everybody knows it. Yeah. And I was all it also gave me a chance to go on Spotify and find some pipes. Kit. <laughs> so if the Scots do well, I play a bit of pipe music. Yeah, I love that. I love a bit of music in the game. <laughs> yeah, and if the Scots do badly, I play a lament. Well, of course, there's no shortage of laments, is there? <laughs> no, absolutely, it's full of it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, it's a, it's basically an in a way it's an English civil war. It's an it's a sorry it's a British civil British, war. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I played it at Phoenix, two two Scotsmen played it in the afternoon. They'd finished their game in the morning. I think they were both what you might call loyal Scots, but they got right into it. Really? Oh yeah, and they knew two <laughs> the strongest, and the game played itself. I did. I barely had to say anything. And oh, they had a great time. Good. But and of course, the names are iconic. On the units, yes. each unit means something to somebody. You could turn up, and I think a guy did turn up at at, at one of the shows and say, uh, "Where are the Campbells?" Right. Or, or where were the uh, somebody of Athol? I can't remember the, the name now. And uh, I was able to give him his units. So there they are. I know my 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 descendants were there. Oh, fantastic! So it it, it resonates. It's an iconic battle, isn't it? And it's it, do or absolutely. die. Yes. Yeah. On yeah. that subject, though, it's almost always die for the Scots. Sadly. So, right, okay. Um, so even though I introduced cards to try and give a bit of player balance, um, it pretty much always... It, it's ne- we've played it 18 times, and it's 18 nil. Oh, God, right. <laughs> so when I was playtesting it, I realised it's a very tough call for the Scots. Yeah. That's why I introduced the cards, to make it a bit more interesting. I also allowed the Scots maybe to, to contest the enclosure in a pre-battle sequence. Yeah. So you, play, you play cards, alternate battle, pre-battle cards. Uh, and I thought to myself, where did that come from? And it comes from uh, military possibilities from Donald Featherstone's Battle Notes for Walking. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember where I got the idea from. And, and lo and behold, that's that's where it was from. He's got but, a lot to um, answer for, hasn't he? The Scots can't really win. And I, yeah. So what So what the Scots player's got to do, he's got, he's got to have a degree of defeat that beats history. Yeah. And that, and that can range from... Um, obviously, Bonnie Prince Charlie kill, is killed. That's it. Thank you. Good night. Um, so if they can get to like turns three and four and perhaps do more than three or four tokens of damage on the government forces, they can start to do better than history. Right. But when I took it to Heroin at Peterborough, a guy got to the last turn and he almost won as the Scots, the closest we've got. But then his break point occurred on the final turn. I bet you were quite excited at that point, weren't you? Oh, it was incredibly exciting because he'd attached... There's this daft card that I came up with where Bonnie Prince Charlie attaches himself to a unit and he becomes almost superhuman. Right. He increases the morale um, because he never really got involved in the battle historically, but you can... It's like a last throw of the dice kind of card that you can play. And this guy played it. And the perfect result for the Scots is if Bonnie Prince Charlie dies as as the government army breaks. Right. 
because that becomes the most tragic. Okay. <laughs> but it didn't quite happen. He survived. Poor old Bonnie Prince Charlie. He survived, but the, but the army broke. Right. Um, but I was just hoping it was possible he could die on the same turn, and that would yeah. have been um, that would have been the perfect um, glorious failure that yeah. they would never have stopped singing about. Fantastic. So and how great to that, have a couple of Scots. Well. So yeah, I was going to say how great to have a couple of Scots involved in the in the game though. When you put it on previously, that that must have been great for them. Absolutely, and it, and it, 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 you can play it in an hour and a half. So you play it twice at a show. Yeah. Um, and that that got me interest perked up for doing more and more really so and then we move on to the next one yes so um my next one's uh, so that was jack a bite-sized culloden I, I try and get a pun in there even if it's a pretty tenuous one um, okay so sudan death was my next one um that's bad in it but uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad mate but I'll, I'll i'll let you have it yeah <laughs> yeah it's the best i could come up with and uh this is a very good example of taking a skirmish game where it does work because he's scaling up, and I'm sure Per Broden talks about this, he, uh, he definitely does, where rather than put a small number of figures on you, you just put more figures on the base, and you create a mass, a, a very mass skirmish effect, yes. rather than just a one-for-one. One. Yeah. So I'm using, um, I'm hoping to use, sorry, the, the, the men who would be kings rules, yes. yeah. which one unit is 12 infantry, Yeah. or for the regulars it is, but in my case it's going to be 48 um Wow. Regular singles. Yeah. Instead of using the ones in line, we're using them skirmishing. Yeah. Or firing. So you get a bit more of a loose order feel. Yeah. Looks about right. And um, there's going to be a Nile gunboat. And the premise of the, the premise of it is that um, there's a column, a supply column being harassed as it's going back towards the city on the Nile. The irregulars are swarming around them. And there's a gunboat that's sort of trying to help defend it from one side. Yeah. And can they get back? Now, it's not been play-tested yet, so the game could still become a slaughter that the British have got to do better than get completely annihilated. Or it could be that it turns out you can get the supply column back into the town. I, I don't know yet because COVID got in the way of, got in the way of, got in the way of play-testing it. So yeah. uh, that's the next one. I've got beautiful Tiny War Games, Matt, again. Um, it's just flat, but then... You know, the desert is quite flat, and uh, um, you've seen the pictures. And I think that one's going to be a good one too. I'm hoping people come play it. I'd like to come and see. Uh, hopefully, you'll have your game on. Uh, yes. We do that. Yeah, my teak ball game. I'm just back to that tiny war games mat though. Um, it, it might be a flat mat, which is uh, a bit obvious, really. But yeah. the the, uh, the the sand effect on that mat is just stunning. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like the wind. I don't know what it is when the wind sort of uh, moves across the sun and creates that sort of ripple effect. It's just beautiful, that matters. Yeah, and when I, when I got it, I thought that, that was fabulous. I had to wait a bit longer to get the figures. Yeah. Um, and I've got, I placed an order at the back of the car, right, only for flags. <laughs> okay. So when the flags come, I'll get another, I'll get another, um, it'll come alive a bit more. Right, okay. Right. And then when the boat comes, that'll be that. I'm just going to make a walled city. I don't know whether there was a walled city on the Nile, but I'm kind of thinking a walled city seems about right. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure there must have been one somewhere yeah. down the Nile. 
But again, well, it's more about the game to me than it is about the history. It's, it's, it's based on historical precedent. There was a supply column that was annihilated. There was plenty of them that happened back then, I'm sure, in colonial times. Yeah. But uh, um, the Mardi makes an appearance and it, it can handle up to, up to about five or six players. But knowing trying to get five or six players to turn up at a show, it works perfect. It'll work perfectly well once I get it up and running properly as a one-on-one, I hope. Yeah. So, so look out for that one when, it, when, it's, when it's about ready. Yeah, I can't wait. The pictures you've put up already are absolutely amazing. Where are you sourcing the steamer from? Um, a guy at the club's going to scratch build it for me. Oh, great. Fantastic. Um, there isn't a regular miniatures model, which yeah. you can fall back on if necessary. Um, but he said he would do it as a modeler at the, at the club, um, uh, Pete, and he's going to get that to me. But of course, there's no rush now. No, no, got another 12 months, mate, before uh, you'll need it, yeah. And the figures for that, who are they from? Uh, who painted them? No, uh, the manufacturer of the figures. Sorry, uh, Bacchus? Yeah. They're all Bacchus. Um, right. Everything's Bacchus, apart from the buildings and some of the tents that I'm going to do. But, yeah, basically it's Bacchus. Right. Yeah. But, but they're just... The best models for this period by 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 some margin, I would say. Beautiful, yes, paints up well, and I could have paint. I have painted some uh, some of those myself in the past, but I just wanted them pro painted so that they were just the right spectacle. And I've got other things that I need to do with my time, and I was lucky enough to be able to afford to do it. So yeah, I got somebody to paint it for me. It, it took longer than expected, but it didn't matter. So no. as you can imagine, yeah, just right up to date, Sean. The um, you've mentioned that you use a professional painter for your stuff. Do you want to give him a plug and tell us how we might get hold of him ourselves? Yeah, well, I'll have to just double check because he go he's on he's on. I always put the I always put the credits on at the show. It's it, it, it's clear. He's called he's Greg and he's from Liverpool. And I'm just trying to see if you go on you if you go on uh, eBay. Yeah. And you type in six millimeter army. Yeah. He comes up, but he's the guy from Liverpool. Right, okay. His name begins with S. I'm just trying to see. I haven't got my Culloden stuff out. Um, I've got some things out to see what my, if we, if we were going to refer to them, but I don't think I've got the name of him. It's Senechal or something like that. Sen, slightly unusual name. Okay. But it, he's, he's very easily um, uh, findable on uh, eBay. Is that and how you've sourced him? Is it through, uh, through eBay? Originally, yeah, but yeah. I, I just it just does commissions for me now. Right. Um, it takes a while, but he's good. Yes. Yeah. And he'll even I mean, them if I ask him. So. Oh, okay. Well, I mean the um the stuff that the Culloden stuff was absolutely gorgeous, and um, yeah, that was beautiful. You talking about it now is make is making my fingers twitch. Thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind giving that little game a go myself. To be honest. Well, but when, well, always bear in mind when things are. Uh, when things have calmed down, I'm more than happy to travel and have a game. I'll come to your club one day if you want. Oh, that that'd be great, mate. If you're in Oldham, then uh, then yeah, we're not too too far apart. So, uh, or I could yeah. I could come up uh, and play on your bed, but that sounds <laughs> wrong, so I won't. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. Move swiftly on, mate. That's that's great. So, um, have you got any other projects planned at the moment? Have you got anything that's just in the very early stages or? Any other? Okay, well, um, so, so the year, so the, the, what I've put on in sort of because I knew it was coming on the show, I put a, a, a tweet out. What was I going to do next? So they're slowly getting bigger. 
Yeah. And will I one day reach the full broaden? Okay. Um, I don't think I ever will, actually, because that's ridiculous. It ridiculous is ridiculous. in a very good way. Yes, yeah, absolutely. What do I say? That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was pretty good, wasn't it? And I'm happy with my game. Yeah. You know, it's lovely and small. And then there's that. His, his town was bigger than my table. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was huge, wasn't it, that Poltova? Absolutely fabulous, yeah. 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 But, it, you know, horses for courses and everything. But the next thing, I was thinking about doing something called Humbugged. Yeah, which will be obviously the Napoleon, uh, the campaign 1815. Right. I'm just trying to work out whether I can do it point to point and make it a bit like a campaign feel. But that's yeah. 18 months away. I've got okay. the figures sort of. I've got some ideas in my head. That's for the future. I haven't yet done my. I haven't yet really had a game yet of a Russian or Turkish that I mentioned right. earlier. Yes. But I'll 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 be doing that in the next few weeks and I'll get that onto Twitter when I do bloody big battles. Yeah. Um. And uh, I've got me in for me in 28 millimeter, although it's not the show for that. <laughs> and um, I've got some DB, DBN. I've, I've managed to get a job lot of 15 millimeter. Yeah. So I, I'm going to use them for DBN, which is 40 millimeter wide frontages. Yes. But I'm going to have snow table. Oh, okay. Because I haven't got any snow. That's about 1812. Uh, 1812, 1813 yep. as well. There was some. There was some. I think 1814. There was some battles in the snow. Okay. So Prussian, Russian, French. But yep. I'm also going to double them up as a very small scale bluker. Right. On a 40 millimeter front, that will be a six. So the three foot square table will effectively be six foot square. Yes. I, I don't think it'll look the part like the six millimeter will, but it's just something that I'm I'm going to try out. But lots of things to try out. It's never ending. It is, mate. Yeah, there's. Uh, it feels like time passes uh, far quicker at this age than it did 20 years ago, and I seem to have more ideas. So there's, there's there feels like there's a lot less time and a lot more ideas than I had 20 years ago. So that's uh, a sad fact. It is a sad fact, mate. But we'll, well, it's we'll... a sad fact. But also, when you realise it, it's not the end of the. It's it's a good thing. You know, you you focus more. You 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 you've gone and done a podcast i've put a game on yeah it's like you want to contribute and, and do something positive and and uh um make the most of of, of, your, of your hobby yes. now you've become properly aware of what it is what you do your place in it etc so i think it's it, it's a shame that we're getting older but it, it's good that we've reached a point where we can really truly enjoy gaming you know yes. as often and as possible as we can and, and, and enjoy every single moment of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love it. I love yeah, it. Oh, mate. Yeah, I do. I do. So um, you're booked in for Joe Six Twenty One with the Sudan Death. Sudan Death, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, let's not get uptight about how it's pronounced. Sudan Death. Yeah. <laughs> Sudan Death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I'll I'll look forward to immensely. And uh, so people can follow you on Twitter. Uh, have you got your Twitter account name there? Glass Nine Four Two. Glass nine four two, um, and uh, I'm sure people, uh, your listeners, or oh, sorry, your the, your number of followers will uh, rise uh, yeah, into the thousands. I'm sure as a result of this appearance on the God's Own Scale podcast. I'm just pleased somebody. I, I'm I quite like it when somebody, you know, just anybody follows. It's great. Yeah, it is. Well, I've, apparently, I've got 14 listeners in the Democratic Republic of Congo, so uh, you might you might get one or two offers from uh, there to put a game on, maybe. Uh, I tell you what, David, it's, first time, it's the first time I've used, um, uh, what, are we, what, what system are we on at the moment? 
Uh, Skype. Skype. I got a few offers from Eastern Europeans to, to Skype with them. <laughs> is that quite common? Because I've never, I've not been as popular with the East European team. Really. Uh, is there a setting I can knock off to say? I'm not sure knockoffs the right word, but uh, I'd, I'd stick to wargaming conversations on Skype, mate, if I were you. <laughs> um, so I don't know how they found me. Oh, no, no. I'm not pleased they have. No, no. I'd, uh, yeah, keep your identity uh, safe and don't put your credit card details on there is my <laughs> own recommendation. <laughs> um, mate, it's been great uh, to chat to you about the hobby. You, we, are clear, we are clearly uh, like-minded people and followed a very similar course throughout life uh in uh, in the hobby sense um you'll know that i'm not going to let you go without uh there's there's two things yeah. firstly you need to leave a book on the god's own scale virtual library shelf and the second thing is that you promise to come back onto the show at some point in the future uh, oh, yeah now, well both of them the both of them that's great i'd love to excellent um, as far as the the game on the shelves goes i, sh- I should say battle notes for war gamers shouldn't i really? <laughs> i've mentioned it a lot it is a good it is of its time yes it's great it is a, it is a great read you know it well is. no it's it's dated a bit if i'm honest i would recommend it but it is a little bit dated but they are aren't they yes uh, they're classics though read. aren't they yeah um i would say famous land battles because again, but but then we're not twelve anymore. I'm sure you need a more uh, thorough history. But the game that blew my mind when I first read it, and I couldn't believe it, and I, and I, it might have been recommended by somebody before. I don't know. Um, is the Face of Battle by John Keegan? Right. No, it's not been mentioned. I've talked about it, but yeah. nobody has actually deposited it on the shelf. Book, when I read that book, I was probably about twenty twenty, and it put me in the position of somebody on the battlefield, and I never quite imagined myself in that way before and it changed my views on history and battles and how to how to see things from the perspective of the man that starts to run away from the back of the column rather than the guy at the front who's brave why does that happen why why does morale affect turn out the way it does it's just an incredibly enjoyable and great academic read failing that so i'd recommend that one but right up current today uh, james holland's normandy Ah, yes. He, he's a great author, isn't he, James Holland? Holland. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd go with Face of Battle if it's not already in the library. Uh, well, I'm going to allow you to put both on there. Okay. I'm going to insist that you deposit both. I'll talk about Face of Battle, actually, because you've you've struck the nail firmly on the head there that um, books that talk about historical battles often have that top-down view, don't they, that go down yeah. through the, the strategic, through the generals and um the, the sort of maneuver but face of battle is definitely a bottom-up where you're looking at the infantryman on the poor bloody infantry on the on the field of battle Absolutely. and what, what, what i find fascinating about it is that if you get a map of europe uh you could probably put a postage stamp on the map and cover the area that those three battles that the book talks about yeah uh you know they're all relatively close together Agincourt, waterloo and the somme um and i don't know what it's, it's a, about belgium yeah, <laughs> people just want to scrap over it, don't they? But it, it's a book that I've returned to many, many times. In fact, I've recently purchased it on Audible, um, which is uh, a, becoming a favourite means of me reading books or listening to books. And uh, I, I, I just select a certain chapter whilst I'm driving there to work and, and listen yeah, to it over yeah. and over again. It's that oh, is a gr- great for that. Yeah, they absolutely are. And it's, that is a fantastic recommendation 
uh, James, and certainly the James Holland books as well. I know he's just released Sicily 43 uh, is his latest book, but um, I'd recommend any any book by James Holland and his, uh, and his podcast, actually, with uh, Al Murray. I don't know if you listen to that no, at I'm all, not James. No, I've him, but I'll look him up now you've mentioned it. Yeah, uh, we have ways of making you talk. I think it's called, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it is a, a at times an irreverent look at history, but the the history is absolutely sound and solid in there. They've they've recently talked about the Battle of Britain um, and, and just about the whole of the, the the Second World War. There's an excellent series that they did on Arnhem um, last year during the anniversary of Arnhem in September. Yeah. So uh, check that out. I will do. No, that's great. Uh, mate, so uh, well done for leaving two uh, books on the bookshelf. That's that's great of you. Um, I shall. I, I do intend to collate all of the books that people have deposited and, and make them available uh, to listeners uh, to uh, see what what's been left. But I hope that wasn't too painful an experience for you, James. No, no, really. Even my war game in life is great. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? We, you can. I've like never most, talked about this apart from about one or two other people in, in, ever. It, it, in most war gamers, uh, if you, if they're asked to talk about the hobby, well, it, it's 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 really putting the brakes on them at some point because we can go on forever, can't we? Uh, there's always a subject that we can find, whether it's rules, whether it's figures, whether it's scenery, whether it's how to present a game. But um, thanks very much for your time, mate. It's been absolutely fascinating to listen to your journey as i say echoes a lot of mine and i'm definitely going to be getting a game of that uh sudden death game because i missed out on culloden so uh i'll take you up on the offer if uh, as and when the world returns to normal you can maybe help me play test it that would be great yes absolutely yeah, i'll do that mate so uh james uh thanks for being a guest on the show no, i really enjoyed it thanks very much Sean. Thanks to James for being such a great guest and giving me that sense of nostalgia thinking back to my own hobby history. Hopefully we'll hear from James again in the not too distant future. Apologies for the sound again, it's been a somewhat problematic edit for this episode. I feel like I'm constantly apologising, but hopefully once the Patreon gets going, then I can invest in some better equipment. Speaking of which, if you are enjoying this podcast and would like to hear better quality audio, please consider clicking the support button and contributing towards the Patreon campaign. Every little helps, and once again, thank you to those of you who have already contributed. Okay, that's all from me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Up next is my interview with Mr. Peter Riley, author of the Polymos ACW Rules and now author of a book on writing your own rules for gaming-specific battles. It's a great interview and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. But for now, thank you for listening and, as always, keep talking about six. 
That was brilliant. That really was great. I'm, I'm sat in an empty house in, in my lounge, and as you were talking, then I'm, I've got my eyes closed, listening to you, thinking this brings back so many memories. The the rebasing that we did back in the day for Principles of War, the games <laughs> yeah. of Fire and Fury we did. Um, you know, though, I it's just brought all those memories flooding back, mate. So that was. I, I made quite. I made quite a lot of notes. Um, but it's like it's strange that you. That, that, I need to make notes because I'm not very good at I'm not quite good at impromptu stuff. Um, yeah. I, I need to prepare for my professional life. For certainly, I I was always okay if I prepared. Yes. But probably this is the thing that I would least need to prepare for. But I did I did prepare. That's why the second take of the first thing sounded the same as before. <laughs> I wanted to try and get that in because I wanted to make sure that I, I said I thank you for what you did and stuff like that. Yeah, it's very kind. And if you and my biography was all as, as sequentially as I could make it, but it yeah. was uh, it was a great thing to to chat about because I am. It's genuinely the case that 
when I said about, you know, you, you don't say this to your regular mates, you you really don't, do you? No. There's no, no reference point. But, no. But what could you say apart from I play with soldiers? What are you on yeah. about? Yeah. You know? I, they all know it. All my friends know about the fact I play with little soldiers, or little men, they call it. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the group that we socialise with, uh, in my fam- in my, with my family, uh, they all know about little men. And my little daughter, oh, sorry, my little daughter, my daughter went into school and uh, did a show and tell and talked about her daddy playing with these little men in his office, which is <laughs> it's an awkward one when you, you next see the teacher. But you're right. There's no frame of reference. There, there absolutely is. How, how would you bring up the subject? I, I was going to talk about the fact that imagine if an, I didn't get around to it, but an imaginary next door neighbor in the 80s yeah. comes and lives next door to you. After yeah. about three months, you find out. Is a war gamer because you wouldn't know otherwise because you wouldn't be posting it anywhere. No. You go around his house. He plays the same period as you. He plays the same scale as you, amazingly. Yeah. But his rules are based for something different, and he's only got the French, and so have you. <laughs> even how many hobbies can you say that even when you completely one hundred percent, even if it's the same rules, sorry, if you yeah. if you go through all the things, it might not be. Yeah. Even if you play, you've both got a French army, what do you do? The French yeah. Civil War in 1798, <laughs> well, what do you do? One of you has to get the other side, and then it takes three months or four yeah. months. It's one in a billion, isn't it? It's one and in a billion that you'd have a neighbour that would fit in with your game. Even if they had the same hobby, exactly the same hobby in yeah. the general sense, but the specifics, there's no standardisation, is there? No. I suppose two fat ladies are getting quite close, but yeah. there's no standardisation. There isn't, and I go down to my club, and I, like you, I have to collect both sides. If So I've played a lot of the Peter Pig games, the Rules for the Common Man games, over yeah. the years. In fact, just about everything they've done uh, since I've been involved in playtesting. Um, now, if I visit, like I do for, uh, two or three times a year, I go down to stay with Martin um, at his house, and uh, we'll, we'll do uh, a games weekend. Um, his club is basically a playtest club for him. And so, where you said it was Dorset, did you? Uh, it's Dorset. Well, Weymouth, yeah. It's Do you know the reason why I asked that is because my next contract, my contract now is based in Bournemouth. Right, okay. Now, it's a long way from Oldham. Yeah, it is a long way from Oldham, but it's not that far from where Martin is. Because... Correct, so I'm, I was going to put on Twitter if I have to come, because at the moment I don't have to go down there. I was due to go down there, moved from Hitchin to Bournemouth. I didn't want to go. It was yeah. due to happen exactly at lockdown so right. i'm normally now attached in my project to bournemouth and there's a right. good chance in october november december till the project's over i'm going to be in bournemouth right so there's a good chance i'll be able to get a game down there oh definitely mate yeah so between bournemouth and where martin is in weymouth uh you've got pool and there's a shop there called entoyment oh I um, that. right yeah so you can go and take you you can go and play there you, buy a table or something you can, mate. Yeah, it's upstairs in the shop. It's a great war game shop. It's fan- got fantastic stock levels of all the usual stuff that you'd find in, in shops, the Flames of War or Games Workshop or um, uh, Bo- uh, Warlord stuff, Bolt Action and what have you. Um, but Martin very frequently goes over to Entoyment and, and plays in the upstairs bit. And we'll often have game stays there, actually. It's the preferred venue for them uh, to do the Peter Pig stuff. But the members of his club, um, almost all of them are involved in the playtesting of the rules. So he'll, uh, and they'll all collect armies 
um, yeah. to play the new rules. So the um, what what was the last thing they did? Uh, probably the Pirates game, I think. Um, but I haven't been down obviously uh, for well, I haven't been down this year. I'm due down there in December if COVID lifts uh, because oh, they, have a, they have a yeah they have a games weekend in a hotel. Uh, so we stay all although most of them live in Weymouth, they all stay in this hotel, take over the hotel and, and play games for Friday from Friday night through to Sunday afternoon. Oh, lovely! Uh, and it, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, so uh, he's got his own playtest team down there, um, and at the club on the club nights they'll they'll play uh, playtest the rules. Martin's got a, a table set up in his workshop at the back of his house. Uh, he he puts me up there every time I go down, so I don't. I've just got to find the fuel to get down to Weymouth. Oh, sure, I'm looking for digs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that would be the perfect. Could there be a better set of digs you'd ever come across? In a, well, you can uh, sleep above. You can sleep above my war games room or or in it. Yeah. Well, at times uh, he's had a couple of people staying with him, and I've stayed and I've slept in the workshop on a camp bed uh, amongst what must be hundreds of thousands of Peter Pig figures. <laughs> Perfect. It's, it's been absolutely great, and I've, he's allowed me to do a little bit of casting if I put my order in. And yeah, he's a great bloke, Martin is. But um, um, but I think I've said this on the podcast before. I'm looking for a bit more history in my gaming now. So uh, that's that's the principally the why why I'm doing the change into six mil, or I have made the change into six mil uh, to recreate the big battles from history, like you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. The Pig, the, a lot of the Peter Pig games are sort of con- self-contained games. The more representative, aren't they? The representative yeah. of a thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they're really enjoyable. But I couldn't, if I want to do Gettysburg, I couldn't use his American Civil War rules for it. Um, no, you couldn't, because you need no. more than eight squares or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I've got, I've it, I never mentioned the project on the podcast, Ultra Freedom. That's on there as well. Oh, man, Ultra Freedom. I'm loving Ultra Freedom. I, I've not played it yet again. but Right, uh, well, there's some strange things about it. So I've, I've, my, my, my mate, who, if we lived till we're 75, we wouldn't play, enough, we wouldn't play all the yeah. board game scenarios, right? Yeah. He's He bought one side and I bought the other. Right. And we got it painted by the guy in Liverpool. Yes. It only cost us 100 quid each. I don't say only, but in the grand scheme of things, only compared to... A 28 millimeter painted army without it being painted costs more than 100 quid, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we got it for we've got them enough armies to play about seven in one scenario book and about three in the other, so right. about 10, 10 battles. Yeah, and I played it at the club. And if you haven't played it, it's really quick, you've really got a it's different to, to, to most other games. In the in that there's only plus or minus two or three that you can get. Yes. And if you're not careful, a unit will automatically retreat. There's no chance of it winning. And we oh. couldn't get our head around it a while. But then it's where you put the commanders and how you position your reserves. And and if you fall back through somebody, it's it's a bit more subtle than it appears when yes. you first look at it. So well, it's worth well, persevering with that. What first attracted to me too was having seen it on Little Wars TV, because obviously the guy wrote it's on there. Um was they there's an episode where they do Antietam, which is my favourite Civil War battle. Is that the bloodiest battle? Uh, the bloodiest battle, yeah, the bloodiest day in American history, yeah. yeah. Um, and they do it on a six by four table. So I worked out the and there's the scenario in the rule book actually um, for Antietam. 
Yeah. So I worked out this, the order of battle, and I, I went, I put the order into Bacchus last year and picked it up. And Christ, it was about two and a half kilo of six, <laughs> six mil, six mil men. <laughs> uh, Lindy, uh, Peter's wife, handed it over to me. She says, "Oh my God, <laughs> how, how much have you spent it? here?" <laughs> how have you gone with it? Uh, well, I've. I've it's stalled because um, I've been doing the First World War stuff. I've been doing the Napoleonics stuff uh, for a mate who wants to do Blucher uh, in six mil uh, doing the 1809 campaign. And then I've ordered, I've got all this two mil stuff for Austerlitz. Um, and what, there's something else as well. I can't quite remember. But uh, I've, I've made a start on it um, and I, I did plan to have it done by last christmas uh but it may be done by this christmas but i'm painting everything myself so um although it doesn't take me a, a long time to paint a unit of uh six mil you know i can probably do it in about less than half an hour um there's still what is the 40 the 70 brigades of infantry to paint a lot of half uh, hours uh, yeah, it is, and then uh, of course all the, the all the guns. All the, there's a bit of cavalry and uh, the officers as well. But you're right that that quirkiness about it has really interested me because the guy who has said uh, uses tabletop simulator on YouTube to fight Blucher and Command and Colors games. Yes. Um, he's fought the Shiloh battle using Ultra Freedom. So you, you can absolutely see it's like watching them playing uh, the tabletop game, you know, with physical things. I've seen the pictures. Uh, I've seen the pictures on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, can't check. get it because I've only got an iPad and I've only got a phone. I haven't got a laptop and I, or a PC. And I think you need a bit more tech, tech, tech don't you, than just an iPad. Uh, to play the tabletop, tabletop simulator. simulator. Yes, yeah. But if you just watch the YouTube video of, of this guy... I'll put a link up for you, Matt. I'll send a link through for you. Um, but he, he, they played through the Battle of Shiloh. I mean, it's like three and a half hours long video. Um, but, you know, I'd rather watch that than Coronation Street. So uh, it, it, you pick up the rules. And th this thing about the, uh, what's the, uh, is it the tempo clock or something? Is it, or tempo, is yeah, tempo bidding. It, tempo you don't bidding. got to play it. With another person, it's it's not solo game. You really need somebody else. Yeah, you, yeah. I don't think you can play solo because uh, you'd have that... to come up with some other way of dealing with tempo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, no, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to that because as much as I liked Fire and Fury back in the day, um, I think I, I want something that's a little bit more quick play in a, on a on a smaller table. So there's a Gettysburg scenario that you can play on a six by four as well. So um, you play, do you have to play at a club or can you play at home? Uh, I've got an office, yeah, where I've got I can just about squeeze a six by four in. Um, I've got an old dining room table actually in there, which is five by three, and I can lay some chipboard on top to make it six by four uh, for the, for the bigger games. But um, I generally the five by three table is also where I do all my painting and modelling and and all the rest of it. So I have to clear all the crap away from the desk, but um oh, I don't you've got get... a club to go to it's brilliant isn't it you've got a club to go to yeah exactly and we've got 360 well not quite 365 days a year access to it it's an old nissan we used to have permanent premises above an old 
uh, hardware store. Yeah, yeah. Did you mention this on your? Did you did you speak to somebody else about it, or did you were you on another podcast talking about it? Uh, no, I think I've I've spoke about it on Meeples and Miniatures, but I ah, think I've, what, I've, yeah, I've heard you say it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was great. We you know we'd had it since about 1971. I, I first started going in about 1989. Um, but it, it's this it was this warren of rooms that were probably probably could only have been used for bed sits otherwise but we'd rented the the rooms out and we got these huge tables we kept all the figures there we could leave games set up all the scenery all the books etc but uh, so we had that for nearly 50 years certainly 45 over 45 years Um, and then the the guy who owned the shop just sold the whole building off to developers and we were going to be homeless and we're searching for premises across stoke which were um, really anything suitable was three times the cost so we pay yeah. about every member pays about 150 quid a year bargain uh, membership it's three quid a week um but anything else uh, any similar premises we were looking at each member needing to pay about 400 quid a year which is a lot of money isn't it um even even yeah. if it was a permanent premises but just by chance there's a, a motor recovery clinic just behind this block of uh, old shops in Stoke. Yeah. Uh, and the guy is into one-to-one military vehicles, like real military vehicles, like American Jeeps and what have An actual, sorry, an actual military vehicle. Actual military vehicles. Oh, yeah. yeah, real military vehicles. Oh, sorry, literally uh, one-to-one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got an old Nissan hut within the grounds of his, prem, of his uh, motor recovery clinic. Uh, that he used for club meetings for this military vehicle club that he only uses uh, on the last Thursday of every month, so 12, 12 Thursdays a year. And he, he offered that to us for the same price that we paid for the uh, for the old club. So we're in there now. Um, and it's actually been a lot better for the club because previously we got all these separate rooms and people would stick to their own room with half a dozen people in it. Oh, yeah. Doing yeah. Napoleonics or doing Warhammer Fantasy or whatever it was. And now we're in a, 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 a large area, a communal area. And we intermingle a lot more and we get involved in each other's games and what have you. So, yeah, we've got we've got that space. We're lucky uh, to, to use that. And we can leave games set up again. We just have to make sure we take everything down ready for the last Thursday of every month so he can have his military vehicle meeting. Um, but, yeah, it's... We're, How we're dare military busy. vehicles get in the way of walking? <laughs> I know, mate. It's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's, he's got a huge place uh, on the outskirts of Stoke-on-Trent. He's a, he's a pretty wealthy guy, and yeah. he's got some uh, barns on, on his land that are just full of, like, half-tracks and armoured... Uh, APC. Has he got any use in wargaming then? Does he come around and say hello? Yeah, yeah, he's he's in it. He doesn't want to get involved in it, but um, he's uh, he's fascinated by it, and he's got some. uh, He's he's linked to a scout club uh, or scout group, sorry, and he's brought them down, and they've had a a little go. And uh, we've got two or three teachers in the club as well, so they they brought pupils down over the years who've then grown up into men and. Uh, I've been long-term members, so we're very lucky in Stoke uh, with the club we've got. It's uh, it's a thriving community, really. Brilliant! Oh, that's great. Yeah, it uh, is, mate. Right, mate. I'm not going to keep you any longer. Uh, th- thanks for your time again. It really is appreciated. That is going to be a great episode, I promise you, James. That's going to be really good. 
difficult uh, to know when you're on the other side of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be amazed. Uh, the, the people are fascinated by people like yourself that have just got the passion for it. And I've said this to a couple of people I've spoken to before, but I can tell when somebody's passionate in the hobby and it comes through your voice, mate, definitely. So great. Uh, well, thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. It was really good fun. So uh, yeah. Rich and uh, I might see you in the future at one of the shows. Or... Well, uh, I hope so, mate. Yeah. And uh, if, if not before, then at Joy of Six uh, next year. Lovely. Well, yeah. Take care, Sean. Thank you. All right, mate. Thank you. See you later. Bye now. Bye. Starting recording now. Ah, oh, right. Uh, James, I do apologise. This is uh, podcasting gold here, where I, once again I failed to press the record button. We are recording now. Lovely. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> welcome to episode fifteen of God's Own Scale. Oh, is it sixteen? <laughs> Wait, it's sixteen now, mate. Yeah, fifteen's lost to the uh, to the ether. And uh, it was a brilliant show, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was probably, I, I loved it. It was probably the best one I've ever recorded, but unfortunately, <laughs> only me and you will ever hear it. Um, okay, uh, you've had a peek behind the curtain of how amateurish this podcast is, uh, as your podcast host has, has just failed to press record. But it right, says here it, that you're recording the call. I can see it now. So okay, great. Yes, yeah. so keep an eye on that number ticking over, because if it stops, we're in trouble. Okay. <laughs> right right i'll do the intro proper